everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church, and this episode is part of our counseling series. This episode is a little different because it's not based on a specific counseling appointment. In this episode, Aaron Hesse, our director of small groups and connections, will be talking with Mike and Estel Beresford, our executive pastor and his wife. Mike will talk about his continued experience living with severe neck and back pain, and Estelle will talk about how she has supported him throughout their marriage. Nick, our lead pastor, will wrap up this episode with some practical ways to help counsel people that you know and love through their own physical pain. As always, if you have any questions, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. this podcast. I am Erin Hesse, and I am joined here with Estel Beresford and Mike Hi. Beresford. Hi. <laughs> and also with us is uh, Nick Gibson, who's going to be interjecting throughout um, our podcast here. So um, yeah, why don't we frame a little bit about how the podcast is going to go today? So we're going to be talking about physical pain, and there are a lot of facets to when someone is experiencing physical pain facets in their own life and then also how that pain can affect other people's life but for the purpose of this podcast we're going to talk specifically about physical pain that in in most of this conversation what mike has experienced um, and not talk as much about the emotional and spiritual pain that can come along with that we could probably do three or four more episodes on on each of those things so just for context, that's what we'll be talking about today. So sounds good. Great. So Mike, why don't you share a little bit and Estelle, please interject whenever you think is appropriate and helpful um, of just how physical pain has been a consistent thread in your life. And, um, yeah. And then Estelle, your position and, or your experience with that as well. Just a real brief background. My pain has been neck and back and so those become a necessary part of your body in most anything you do and uh, it was from two accidents and not car accidents uh, one a window fell in and crushed c2 in my neck and then i broke a vertebrae at two different locations when i was in my uh, later 20s and so this has been about a 38 year journey yeah. and um, a lot of lessons learned um, I wish that all along the way I had been as faith-filled and, and uh, I knew, knew what I know now mm-hmm. then, but I didn't. And it's been a, uh, I thank God for, for medicine. It kept me working. It mm-hmm. kept me moving. Mm-hmm. I literally traveled the gro- globe and working uh, yeah. while always having that next pain treatment in front of me and uh, pain meds in my pocket. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more in detail? You shared a little bit about the beginning of how some of this pain started 38 years ago. Um, What has that physical pain been like in the last 38 years? Just give some, yeah, of those experiences. In the first eight years when it was untreated and misdiagnosed, they said I just had post-concussive syndrome and the headaches would eventually go away Mm -hmm. um it was i had about a 20 second window when 
when pain began to build that I had to either get to the side of the road. Mm-hmm. I have fallen down many staircases uh, because trying to get down or up mm-hmm. before I knew I would fall and I didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, fainting because of pain in the house, mm-hmm. waking up with one of my girls holding my head and crying. Um, getting up to preach on a Sunday morning and having to come in just as I was going to the platform because I couldn't handle the level of music and mm-hmm. and such. And by God's grace, the pain would leave until the last person left the altar, and which really helped my prayer life. Mm-hmm. But um, the pain would be back. Mm-hmm. And so it was debilitating in a lot of ways, and you press through and you try to be gracious only to find out you never are as gracious as you thought you were. Mm-hmm. But um, you you try to be normal mm-hmm. when it requires flexibility on everybody's part around you and in yourself um, because you just physically can't stay and do what you want to do. And so... You know, it's hurt friendships, it's hurt um, family expectations, vacations, mm-hmm. uh, finances. Yeah. You know, and so so pain is, is not an isolated factor. It, it really determines how you can function. Yeah. So you, a few years ago now, wrote a... Um, Actually, quite a few years ago. Quite, okay, yeah. Um, wrote a paper about mm-hmm. this experience of your husband going through pain. Um, what were some of those, um, you talked a little bit about how it affects more than just that person or just the physical pain that Mm -hmm. there's the, the physical nature is more, it's more than just the physical nature that's affected. So yeah, explain on that a little bit more. Um, first of all, I would just like to just kind of elaborate a little bit. Sometimes the Mike's pain would be so bad that he would just faint and you know, as a 225-pound man falling like a tree in the house mm-hmm. would shake the whole house. And so that kind of a situation with especially young children is very frightening for them mm-hmm. and alarming to me. <laughs> How old are your children at the time? Jocelyn was 12 when it first began, so Chelsea was 9. Okay. Yeah. But it does affect so much um, really every every area of your life mm-hmm. um you never knew when the pain was going to get to the point where you couldn't do what you'd planned to do mm-hmm. so we had to learn to be very very flexible and to have backup plans for every plan that we had mm-hmm. um can you give an example of okay like if we were invited to go to some event or we had planned to go to some event mm-hmm. um if we couldn't do that event we need to for the sake of our our own quality of life and those of our children, we had to plan for other things that were more reasonable, mm-hmm. that could be handled with the amount of pain. Sure. Um, so there was some disappointment in that, but we tried to focus on the fact that it was really about being together as a family. Mm-hmm. That is hard, though, because it, and it, it's not just disappointment in not doing the thing that you were hoping to do or planning to do, but there's this inhibition that gets built in to never, you know, get excited about a potential plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, 
I can imagine that's really hard to not feel like you can fully express joy before something happens and because you don't know if it's going to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and over time, when you, when you talk about pain itself, mm-hmm. you learn to live with pain. Um, you learn to compartmentalize pain. Mm-hmm. You learn that it's a, um, it's a weight. Mm-hmm. It's a factor. Um, if I was, if I knew I was going to do something, I had to be careful about how much sleep I got that night. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was in pain, if I did something that day that caused pain, and so a Sunday morning meant I had to have a pretty calm Saturday. Mm-hmm. And the kids are out of school on Saturday; they want to do things, and yeah. so you're always compromising. And you know, if I do this, how much will affect that? Mm-hmm. Um, I know even in the last few years around here in talking with the staff and such, you know, one thing that people always out of the goodness of their heart ask, you know, how's your pain level today? Mm. And, and while I know that that's a wonderful question for them to ask, that requires me to open up my pain box. And every time I do that and my mind goes to there, some of the pain escapes Mm. and I've got to either stuff it back in the box and compartmentalize it and move on and through it. Um, you know, many times at the end of the day, and Esther will attest to this, it will appear that I'm reasonably okay during the day, but I'll get home and collapse. Mm-hmm. And because the actions, the prescribed thought things that, that we do at work, um, the patterns that we exist in are over, and all of a sudden I have a different reality when I get home. Mm -hmm. And if I don't keep moving and active, um, that transition is really very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to go home and be a deadhead for Estel now or my family then. And so you, you really learn to navigate to your abilities, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and how you, and how I navigate pain now is much better than it was 15 years ago. Yeah. I would like to say that um, with the level of pain that Mike was in, especially at the beginning, it really brought life down to the basics mm-hmm. of survival. So a lot of things that we would do for for pleasure or as hobbies or things like that had to be put aside because we were covering the basics mm-hmm. for each other and covering the basics for Mike. So for example, for a long time, I had to put aside my music and playing the piano, which was extremely painful for me because it had been part of my life since I was two. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's all I could fit in with um at that point, I had to. I went back to school to get a different um, degree because I couldn't support a family of four um, on the degree I had in music, mm-hmm. and so. And I went back to work in the um, business field mm-hmm. because I could get better insurance for our family that way. So because of those changes in responsibilities, we, I, we put aside a lot of things that were part of our lives, yeah. that were part of us, mm-hmm. to keep 
keep everybody going, keep everybody surviving. I mean, a good day was when we got everybody to where they were supposed to be um, without having to make an extra trip to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. So in in some of, Mike, your darkest moments, or Estelle, in, in those darkest moments for you too as a support to him, um, because of the pain that you were experiencing and the helplessness and hopelessness that you were having, um, what were some thoughts that were in your head or things that you would say just to get our, our listeners, some who may be going through pain and maybe don't want to admit certain things that are really hard that are going through their minds or for those who are listening and haven't experienced physical pain or don't know somebody who has gone through a substantial amount of pain. Um, what, what is that like? The answer to your question is everything from everybody would be better without me to I am so glad God is gracious. Um, I mean, it's a full gamut, and sometimes in the same breath. Um, we have a, well, I have a, uh, a phrase that I use when I'm really hurting, but I want to make light of it. I'll tell her, just take me out behind the barn and shoot me. And she's like, we're not buying a barn. And we laugh about it, but it lets me express kind of where I'm at yeah. in a in a playful way. Mm-hmm. Then you have good friends like Kent that says, well, I'll have a backhoe out in my place next next week. We can take care of all of it. <laughs> oh but, uh, you know, I said, don't tell Estelle. You know, and so one day I was really hurting, and she's like, when Kent's going to have that backhoe? You know, and, and so you, you learn that, while it's serious, mm-hmm. you've got to laugh at it. Mm-hmm. You've got to make it part of, um, it's, in your opening statement, you said, we'll talk about pain without the emotional and spiritual. You can't, because pain by itself always wins. Um, it's, it's stronger than we are, and we'll give in to it. And that's why people go to alcohol, they go to drugs, they go to whatever to find the relief. And it really does take mental discipline, but it really takes the grace of God mm-hmm to you know and you just depend on that Mm -hmm. um our prayer life got very simple because Mm -hmm. it wasn't about the stuff it really was about helping us get through the day yeah you know i remember many many mornings estel's prayer for me would give mike what he needs to do what you have for him today Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be about tomorrow it wouldn't be it would just simply be about the day or the moment or the hour and but the other thing about pain is it doesn't have to be a limiting factor you can learn to to live with it Mm -hmm. and yes there are limits to that but you also learn to do what you need to do and there have been you know I love to play golf well this summer I think I played 18 holes maybe twice I played 14 holes half a dozen times thinking I was going to play 18. Mm-hmm. Most of the time we played nine. Sometimes we played six. Mm-hmm. Um, we went out and did what we could do, enjoyed what we had. And when we couldn't, we said, okay, that's done. Mm-hmm. And tried not to make it a, a whiny moment. Right. But um, it is limiting. Mm-hmm. But the minute you allow pain to 
direct your path, then it's very, very difficult. Yeah. I think it's really important um, how we use our language when someone in the family is in that much pain because they begin to doubt their abilities um, as a husband, as a father, mm-hmm. as a provider, as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And they already feel enough of that negativity on their own, mm-hmm. and they don't need it from the rest of the family. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very important that we affirm to the person who is in pain that they didn't ask for this, and um, they're not being punished for it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things in life that you don't, life doesn't always bring us what we expect it to be. Yeah. It's never, it's never, hardly ever, if ever, like we think it's going to be when we start out in our 20s. Mm-hmm. So what, to kind of segue into some of what support looked like for you, Mike, in this, what were some of the most unhelpful things that people would say <laughs> um, um, as you walk through this? And um, Esso, maybe you even yourself experienced people saying unhelpful things or you said unhelpful things that you had learned to change through this process. Talk about that a little bit. Probably the most unhelpful and hurtful is, has been from Christians. Um, reminding me that, you know, if it were a few months, it was appreciated. If it was a few years, it was appreciated after 30 years, 35 years, reminding me that, well, God wants to heal you. One, they don't know that. Two, I've been praying that, and thousands have been praying that for years, three decades, almost four. And and maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants to use this to temper me. Maybe he wants to use this to, you know, maybe my mom was true. God made you a pastor so you'd go to church, mm-hmm. um, you know. She would tease me about that, but I don't know why God has used me in healing people. Hmm. And physically, yes, and and sometimes dramatically, and I walk away in pain. Mm -hmm. Um, Why exactly is that statement unhelpful for someone to remind you? Like, what does that? Because it it makes me go back through the exercise of okay, well, does God not love me? Does God? Did I do something wrong? Because uh, it's usually accompanied by an innuendo or, or a direct statement if you had enough faith. And I do have faith. You know, I, I use a phrase, I'm in between my feelings and my theology. And, and my feelings don't always want to agree with my theology. But I've never let my feelings, well, I've tried to never let my feelings dictate my theology. And so when people speak that which they don't know, the, the point in the first one is really is, we don't know what God's going to do, but we want to make everything better. So we say to people, well, this, this, you'll get better. We don't know that. And they just lied to me. And so it's, I remember one day you came, and I so appreciated it, Aaron, and this was just three, four months ago. You said, um, I can tell you're hurting today. How do you want me to acknowledge that? What would best help you when I can see you're hurting? Ignore it. And we just, we talked about it. And it was, I so appreciated that because you didn't make assumptions. Mm 
you cared by asking and and that was that really meant a lot and it was incredibly mature well i'm glad i it was it is one of those things when you're on the outside and you want to support someone but you you don't want to yeah do the opposite of that and so you have to be very careful yeah i've been told i have i must have sin in my life mm-hmm. um if i were really a godly man then this wouldn't be happening i mean all kinds of things that are just not helpful they're also not necessarily biblical because the, there's a story in the bible where uh, jesus was getting ready to heal someone and they said well, why is this man the way he is they said it must have been because of his sin or the sin of his parents and jesus said no that isn't it and then there was job job did not sin god was proud of him and he went through years and years and years of suffering and lost everything and it says in First Peter six one six and seven that about the testing of our faith um, is like refining the process for gold. And so I believe that God allows us to experience things in our lives that will refine us and to help us become what He wants us to become. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important realizations to make clear is that. Christians have historically had really, really, really bad theologies of suffering and pain, partly because the theology, Christian theology of pain and suffering is related to God's sovereignty and his own choice that's relative to any situation. And so there is no doctrinaire, God wants to heal you, God is going to use the suffering to change you. Christians usually want a simple answer so they fall on one side or the other. It's either the, well, God wants to heal everyone because he's a good father and so he must because he can and therefore if we don't have healing, it's our fault we haven't asked for it or believe, right? If anything, the Bible says that he's going to use suffering to shape us. Right, right. And it says that all kinds of places, depending on which you want to hear, depends on what part of the Bible stands out to you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and but also in my experience, people who suffer have some of the best and worst theologies of suffering too, because some people live through it and they deal with it and they grow a lot in their theology of suffering and they have a really well-formed theology of suffering. But there are some people who suffer chronically whose theology kind of gets worse and worse. And so it's important not to just think that because somebody suffers, they have a great theology of suffering. Your theology of suffering can be Human beings tend to have very self-indulgent theologies of suffering, whether they suffer or not. Mm-hmm. They don't suffer. They have very self-righteous, usually, doctrines of suffering, um, or what they think are very empathetic doctrines of suffering. And if people have suffered, sometimes they can have very self-righteous, easily offended kind of me- things of being suffering. They, yeah. they get martyr complexes and they that sort of thing. And so I think it's important to recognize that that you have to have a pro-suffering theology and a pro-healing and pro, like that God is bringing about. Yeah. So it's that classic tension between already and not yet that in the end, God will heal all things. Yeah. We experience the first fruits of his healing. God can really bring enormous redemption, human creativity and taking dominion over the natural world can produce medicine. Medicine can do wonderful, wonderful things. All that is on the positive side, mm-hmm. and, but yet negatively, God has to break almost every human being horribly to make them humble, so that they could be saved and useful in His 
in his work. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just a little difference in, in language. Like if somebody says, how are you holding up? That implies they know I'm hurting. Mm. Versus, how are you doing? Sometimes I just want to look at them and say, how do you think I'm doing? Mm. I'm, I'm in pain, you know. And I don't say that because I know that they're trying to engage out of compassion. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to be very, very careful in how I respond and react to people. And, and I find myself not necessarily posturing, but trying to be at my best when somebody comes in my office or I meet him in the hall or, or something like that. Even at home, mm-hmm. if I'm really hurting, often I'll go into the bedroom and shut the door mm-hmm. because I don't want to put that on Estel. Mm-hmm. And she'll come in and check on me, and then she'll go back out and she'll shut the door. Mm-hmm. Um, because she doesn't need to be constantly reminded either, but she also knows she respects me in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Conversely, we just had this conversation two weeks ago. Um, sometimes she won't want to be intimate because it will hurt me mm-hmm. physically. Which it does. And, and so she'll resist on that ground. The pain is worth it to be held close. And the security of that, um, I'm coming in more and more realization that um, both as a, as a leader, as a visionary and doing things in the city and in pain, I need her security um, not only emotionally and, and physically, but but intimately, mm-hmm. and so she's had to come to terms with if we're physically intimate, it may hurt me, and she may help in that hurt, mm-hmm. but it's still necessary for my well-being mm-hmm. as a whole. Yeah, and and that was a, I think a difficult discussion mm-hmm. and a realization that it's okay. That pain is, we don't live to make pain go away. Hmm. Pain is kind of a resident. And so how do you live well with pain? Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah. rarely do we even pray for healing anymore. Mm-hmm. We pray for strength. graciousness. Perseverance. Strength. Yeah. Um, capacity to be loving. And in those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. We all have things in our life that are challenging and that challenge our faith. And um, pain is no different than that. Um, it's, we have decided that no matter what the pain we want every day to honor Christ, we've made, we made that choice. Mm-hmm. So we think about the fact that, okay, God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's promised to never give us more than we can. He will provide us to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. And we take his word for that and we we try to make every day honorable to him in our words to each other and to other people mm-hmm. instead of tearing down that doesn't help yeah but to um concentrate on bringing glory to god and because it's it's just the way it is mm-hmm. and yeah. we we want to live our lives in honor to christ not in defeat mm-hmm. so follow-up question to that and you've started to talk about this a little bit how has the pain that you've gone through affected your relationship with the lord 
it's probably been the one defining factor of the strength of my faith. Um, my belief in a gracious, loving, redeeming God is resolute um, because he sustained me. Mm-hmm. I remember one day trapped on the stairs and in, in pain and afraid to go up, afraid to go down, I would fall. And uh, it was one of those moments I cried out to God, which I usually do, and I literally felt his arms around me. And it was so peaceful. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, and it, that's only happened once in 38 years. You know, but there's been many times when I can get past the, the sharpness of, of pain as it crescendos by going to scripture or just using a relaxation technique within prayer and in envisioning God's presence around me mm-hmm. and in working through it. Um, I've had to understand that God is regardless of my circumstance. Mm-hmm. And so that takes me trying to find, define God mm-hmm. based on my feelings out of the equation because I've, I've watched him move in other people's lives while I was hurting and I was the instrument being used at the moment. You can't leave your feelings in in the picture and and somehow justify what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Estelle and the strength of her faith grow, um, not out of the frustration of the situation, but out of the confidence that God would be present in the situation. Yeah, and her usage of scripture and praying over their family, over herself, over me. And so, you know, God has been, he's used my pain. Mm-hmm. He's used my pain to get me out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were in uh, Rolla, Missouri, there was a group of pastors and they wanted to bring in a, a Billy Graham associate uh, evangelist. And they asked me, I was from Seattle, I'd done bigger things than they had ever done. And asked me to lead the, the committee and I said, no, this isn't my town. I'm only probably going to be here three years. Um, but I'll co-lead it with somebody. Well, as, as God and his sovereignty had it, he kept me out of the way. I didn't attend one planning meeting that year. I called in on all of them because during every one of them, I was debilitated. Yeah. And when we left Rolla, um, there were about 20 pastors in town that got together and threw me a party and thanked me for walking them through that. And I said, guys, you've missed the whole point picture here. You know, you did this, and God allowed me to give you encouragement along the way, but you did it. And God conveniently put me on the couch or the floor during every meeting. I don't know if you realize that, but, you know, and so he put me into a second place and gave those pastors the confidence that God could work through them. Mm-hmm. And that was a wonderful gift to yeah. me. Um, you were able to see that probably like looking back and realizing what God was doing. Maybe maybe not at the very end, maybe even after that had happened a few times. You saw that God was, that there was some intentionality with the pain that you were experiencing at the moments that you were experiencing it. Was that frustrating? And did you wrestle with that initially? 
I I remember think remember I remember re- recognizing what was happening about three months into a twelve month period, because this was also um, close to fifteen years into it, twelve years into it, and so it was uh, it wasn't a new experience. I had been watching God in my pain for twelve years at that point, mm-hmm. and. Yes, it's always frustrating. Mm-hmm. I get frustrated now. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to work more. And there are times I just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, or Tuesday, you know, in elders in the evening, my first appointment was at 7 in the morning. I went down, met with Nick at 8.30, you know, had elders, got home at 10. Um, and I laid on the bed and wept for a while um, and then went to sleep mm-hmm. you know and it wasn't like oh, I'm never going to do that again it was just that hurt mm-hmm. and expressed it Esther was already asleep and got up and went to breakfast the next morning mm-hmm. you know it's just and people also sometimes say well, well I know my pain is not as bad as yours I'm like, no, pain's pain. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's a toothache or a broken back. It hurts. Yeah. And and I think we have to realize that God gives us the capacity to walk in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to like it, but we do have to acknowledge it and its um, its source, its its power, and not give in to the negative side of pain, but also kind of rejoice in the way that God uses it for his glory and our good. Mm-hmm. I'm a much better man mm-hmm. and a better husband and father because I've had to learn to do some things inside of pain, mm-hmm. which made me more intentional. Yeah. yeah, it cuts through a lot of superficiality into what really matters in life. Yeah. So I'm sure this is that your entire experience has affected your understanding of humanity and how you extend compassion um, with mm. all that you've gone through, how in what specific ways has it affected how you interact with a person who's either experiencing physical pain or supporting someone who is experiencing physical pain? I have to be very careful there. Mm. If it feels like they're whining, I have a very, very little tolerance. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, get over it. Mm. Um, because we do whine about a lot of things that are really minor and they're almost inconsequential. Mm. However, if somebody is really hurting, then, you know, I've sat in a hospital all day without saying a word, just holding somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. And the ministry of presence was all that was needed. Yeah. Um, and so the, the gamut is, is really wide um, I was not empathetic as a young 20s pastor. Um, my philosophy was producer, get out of the way. Yeah, get over it, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. That was my biggest counseling thing. It was always short meetings, you know, get over it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so God's, God's definitely grown me in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I've told people before, if you're going to whine, I'll introduce you to somebody else. If you're really hurting, I'm your best friend. Mm-hmm. And and I try to live that out. Mm-hmm. 
how do you distinguish between whining either in yourself or another person versus lamenting or grieving? I think first the source, what happened mm-hmm. and the distance to the event matters. Um, and just the depth that they're carrying it. I mean, you can usually tell pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and people also give it away. Um, when I had my knee replacement last December, the day next day they had five of us who all had knee replacements the day before in a group therapy thing. And they go around and they ask a really goofy question, you know, rate your pain one to 10. And I have felt a nine. I've never felt a 10 because by then you're passed out. Um, and so I said a four and a half, maybe five. And it hurt and I was on pain meds. Mm-hmm. And this lady was just chatting away across the room. And when we came to her, she stopped. She said, oh, I'm at a nine. And I just wanted to laugh because it's like, no, you don't chat and laugh when you have a nine level pain. You're screaming, holding, wishing somebody to knock you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you can tell pretty quick, mm-hmm. you know, if people are really in pain, mm-hmm. then they're in pain. Mm-hmm. They need help. Yeah. So what about you? Where, how has all of this affected the way that you talk with and support other people who are in pain or who are in a position that you've been in where you, okay. as a support to someone in pain? Well, I've always been very sensitive to other people being in pain, mm-hmm. um, almost to a fault. Mm. Um, but it has also opened my eyes to the people who are with the person who is suffering mm. and has helped me to understand what they're going through, what they feel, mm-hmm. and how to help them. I've had other people tell me that I don't see myself overly so this way, but I've had other people tell me that they've they see me as a very gracious and gentle person. Um, I think that's grown, though. I mean, I think you always have been very gracious, but that's grown as you've dealt with me. You're much more affirming, and and I think denying, willing to deny yourself on the behalf of either the family being at peace or or me and because i've had to pull some of the effects of my pain out of you sometimes mm-hmm. because you don't want to share it Mm-mm. because it's going to hurt me yeah it's not helpful to you but sometimes it is helpful when you're honest because i know i'm causing it and if i don't get to see resolve in that then I'm left with an open door that is kind of like a, a festering wound. Mm-hmm. And so it requires everybody in the family to, uh, I remember when we were moving from Denver, this would have been in 05 or 06, and um, I had a diverticulitis attack, and I had 105 fever, mm-hmm. and it was moving day, movers were there, mm-hmm. and Estel said, we've got to get Mike to the hospital. And Jocelyn, who was 26 at the time, 27, she said, I can't take him. Hmm. And she just panicked. And we talked about it later. And she went back to the day when she pulled me back inside the window when I had 
my when C2 was crushed mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. thought I died. Yeah. And she was 11 years old holding my head in her lap crying thinking I was dead. Mm-hmm. And goodness, I had no idea that 16 years later she would have that kind of dramatic response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. being afraid to lose me. Yeah. And so, you know, pain is real, but in the midst of it um you know, I've learned that we're fragile. We need mm-hmm. we need God's presence, um, and and He has absolute attention to our lives. We He's not unaware. Okay, guys. Um, partly because so we got some of your story, and there's some implications probably people could draw out from what you've said. But because this is in our counseling series, we want to try to bring this to very specific applications for counseling in the general sense of like we talk to other people who have issues right so uh, let me make a couple observations and then you guys can comment on some okay one i think that this kind of counseling about pain should be brought into every pre-marriage counseling situation (laughs) i think if you do pre-marriage counseling you should go over the vows and for better or for worse in sickness and in health right um, you Good even point. could do richer or poorer because I probably this pain mm-hmm. has been particularly financially ruinous for you guys. Yes. Yeah, it has. And yes, very so, much so. so you'd be a lot better off financially oh. if for not for these bills. Right. And so, um, th- and those literally are the marriage vows. Mm-hmm. Right. I've in, in the paper I wrote after only eight years into it. One of the things I said was I have lived my marriage vows. Right. I do live my very my very marriage vows, and because it was a covenant before just God. Yeah, and I think pre-marriage in pre-marriage counseling, you need to say to people, "Look, if you don't, if you don't love this individual person enough to, if they get affected this way, you can see yourself unembittered mm-hmm. being with them. Yeah. Exactly, you need yeah. to not get married." Because this is what marriage means. I think the unembittered part is very important too. Not that you don't, I'm sure you've struggled a lot with feeling the temptation to to feel bitter. To let it become a root of bitterness and that affects everything you do and say, it just hurts yourself and hurts those around you. Yeah. Okay, so I can think of at least three areas where you would counsel the person who's in pain. Okay, so one would be how to think about it theologically or spiritually. Right, we talked about that a little bit about is God punishing you? Would God heal you if you prayed hard enough? How does God use suffering to change us and mold mm-hmm. us? So that's one area. Another area would just be weariness. Mm-hmm. So the person yeah. thinks Definitely. they know how to think about it theologically, but over time, like things happen where they're just kind of like, I'm just tired of this. I just mm-hmm. I'm sick of it. Yeah, yeah. Which I would exhausting. say probably for you, Mike, in our relationship, that's the most common. Yeah, is just what you talked about with Aaron, like just the acknowledgement. Yeah, it's it's very tiring, mm-hmm. and you know it's not just a nuisance tiring. It's it's a very weighty tiring because it's ever present, and yes, it ebbs and flows in intensity, but it's it's always present. And so I don't remember a time when I haven't been in pain in the last I don't know. At least the last ten years, and. And if I wasn't in pain, it was because I'd just gone through a medical treatment and pain management. Um, and, and so 
weariness demands attention. And so you look at diet, you look at sleep, you look at disposition, you look at you know, your time with God, you look at your time with those significant people around you, you look at intimate time with your wife, um, and just intimate time with yourself. You know, am I in the right place? And I've spent a lot of time looking for sin in my own life, and it's I found some sometimes, you know, and is always related. Will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You I know? think, but then there's always the temptation to equate that to the pain. Right. Like, well, because I found this sin, that legitimizes the idea that God is judging me, and that's why I'm in pain, when scripturally it looks like the two are not related very closely. Right. Mm-hmm. But you run through the exercise of, okay, if I get rid of this, then I won't hurt. Right. And then you're like, oh, shoot. There's no it promise didn't work. that. <laughs> okay, so there's weariness. And so you're saying there's certain things you have to do. Am I properly caring for myself as the person who is hurting? As a, as a person helping that person, then you'd say like a ministry of presence, a ministry of understanding, like how are you holding up versus how do you feel? You've mm-hmm. asked me to just like, when I see you hurting, to just not ignore, like just go on with business. Yeah. Like come in and just talk about what we're going to do instead of say, well, Mike, how are you How are you holding up so that you can talk about your pain for five minutes? Right. Or even backing off so that I wouldn't have to press into something. Because when you back off and don't include in, me in something I should have been included in, then it's like, okay, I'm at a point I can't hold up my bar into the bargain. Yeah. I th- okay. That brings me to the next thing, which is diminishment. Yes. As an effect that what that pain takes up so much of your, to use, I'm going to use a computer term. I know this isn't very human, but it takes up so much of your Ram, like yeah. how much concentration <laughs> you've got sickness and pain steals oftentimes a majority mm-hmm. of your intellectual capacity. And mm-hmm. so there have been times when yeah. I've been with it's you and you're just like, you're too. barely coherent mm-hmm. and it's not because you're dumb or you haven't been taking care of yourself. You're just in a lot of pain yeah. and it's hard for you to like deal with the pain and then also think complex thoughts about like finances and structure and people and all this stuff in the future, which can be very complicated lines of thinking. Right. And so I know that you've struggled with the fact that like, you knew if you didn't have this pain, how much you could do. And I know that you, that's affected you here at your work. I'm sure that's affected you massively in your marriage. And as a father, how do you, if, if you're then counseling somebody who's experiencing that, how would you as a counselor try to encourage someone, the person in pain now, we'll move to the helper person in just a minute. Here's what I've told myself as recently as this morning, because I actually said that phrase this morning. Mm -hmm. I wonder what I could have accomplished in life had I not had to be in pain for the majority of my working career. If we believe that God is sovereign, then we have to believe our identity is also in him, because he sovereignly said that, um, that his way wasn't for us to go out and prove ourselves, but it was to submit fully to, to him through his son and that he would care for us and, and that our worth was established in that. It wasn't in our productivity. Having said that, we're also created to work. We're create, created to be fruitful. We're created to use the mind that God gave us and the creativity and, and the gifts that he gave us. Uh, one of the things that... I think we have to recognize if we're 
incapacitated in whether it's pain um, and that shows itself in many different ways is that one we can trust that God's not disappointed in us mm-hmm. and and hopefully that will give us the bulk of our strength to do what we can do to keep as productive as we can but also to um, have a few people in your life who aren't depending upon you for something as the basis of relationship mm-hmm. so that your value isn't what you do for them, but they value you because of you. And because there will always be a lot of people who take. Yeah. And your job will always demand because it comes with a job description. Um, life goes on, work needs to get done. And so those things will always present your, themselves to you. But at the core of it, you've got to have a really strong belief that um, in denying my pain, one, I don't heal. I have to come to terms with my pain and do what's right for it. But that doesn't define me either. Yeah. All right. I want to move us on a couple other things. So let's talk a little bit about um, when you counsel somebody who's the helper of somebody who's in pain. Um, but you could also you could also say this would be a helper of anybody who has been profoundly diminished. So I think you, this could also apply to a wife or a husband whose spouse has maybe dementia or something where like their spouse has been profoundly diminished, mm-hmm. and the joy of that comes from a f- fully functional partner or whatever, like in certain ways is diminished, and and that spouse feels inherently like they've lost so much. It's not, this isn't what I planned on. This isn't what I hoped for. And now I'm living in this. I mean, I've had people in my office say, I'm living this nightmare. I'm living in this. Yeah. I'm, I feel like I'm in prison. I like you get sometimes that kind of language from right. Right. the helper. So how would you counsel somebody who is the covenant spouse, like the, the wife or the husband of somebody with pretty chronic pain or has been profoundly diminished by their suffering? You want to answer first? Well, I'll tell you what I tell myself. Okay. I, I tell myself that my plan for my life was not necessarily what God's plan for my life was, number one. Mm-hmm. And his plans are always best. And that if I spend all of my time complaining about the fact that my life is not the what I had planned, then I'm wasting time. Mm-hmm. I'm wasting time. It's just, it's fruitless. But if I spend my time instead okay, what can I do today in this situation to honor Christ? What can I do? What would God want me to do? And what can I do today that would bring honor to Him to fulfill His purpose for my life, not my purpose for my life? It helps me a great deal Mm -hmm. to put that in perspective. And God didn't promise us that it would be easy. In fact, He said, you're going to have trouble in this world. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be that way. And He said, Pick up your cross and follow me. So I, I don't think that's a fatalist view either. Um, we know the effects of sin. We know that that pain is is a symptom of that. It doesn't mean that sin causes all pain, or pain comes is derived by sin. But it still is leaves us in a fallen and broken nature, mm-hmm. and and so the sovereignty of God becomes really important to recognize that. Um, 
to love somebody means to serve them. Mm-hmm. And, and in that service, we find joy because we find some of the things that we actually were created to do. Um, Estelle and I have been married, it'll be in six weeks, it'll be 42 years. And 38 of those have been dealing with my pain. And I honestly would put the joy of our marriage against anybody's. Yeah, me too. And it hasn't been easy. But it's been God-centered. It's been God-driven. And when you live that life, it it's joy-driven. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it takes it takes when you realize when you're when you're thinking more about what can I do to help this person right now instead of saying yeah this is really hard yes it's hard it's hard but God promised to help me and he does help me every day and all I have to do is say his name and say I need your help yeah. help me here I so, think one okay, of the let me, th- can I coalesce this for people who are yeah. like thinking, okay, what am I tell people? So one is what I just called the I know, I know, sweetie, right? I, and I learned this when my wife was having our first child. She got to like transition, and she's like, I can't do this, <laughs> right? And as a man, my response to be supportive was, yes, you can, <laughs> and you're gonna have to, right? And what the midwife said when my wife said that was, I know. So she said a proposition. I can't do this. At which point the assumption is, is like, I'm not gonna, and somebody needs to change the situation so I don't have to. Right. But of course the midwife has been through this. Like, that's not what happens. (laughs) 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 And so her response back to my wife, sidestepped the assumption in what my wife was saying, heard what she was emotionally saying. I don't want to have to do this. Of mm-hmm. course, that's the normal human response to mm-hmm, suffering. Exactly. And so she just said, I know, sweetie. So I think sometimes in counseling, the first thing you have to tell people is that. When they're like, I don't want to do this. And you're like, I know, I know. That's the yeah, universal. It's, it's hard. And I have said that to people. Or yeah. I've said, I understand. Or I've been there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think to recognize that this person who's in pain is always an Im- is also an image bearer of God. And, and when that becomes how I see them then I don't define them by their pain or their situation. I define them as a person that God created, who is loved by God, has dignity, who has worth. And I don't want to play into the pity, but I also want to recognize and respect them. Mm-hmm. And and when people right. do that to me as a recipient, I want to respond that way. And it strengthens right. me. Right, okay, so... These are the steps I'm, I'm, okay, so one is just ministry of presence, right? And helping people who are weary with, I know, I know, I know. It's so hard. I get that, just right? Just the acknowledgement. And then third is getting them back to kind of what you were talking about, Estelle, which is one option mentality, right? Like you don't, you're not going to get rid of the pain. So mm-hmm. you could either waste all your time wishing this wasn't true and not acting in the present for any good. Yeah. Or you can say, God is sovereign. This wasn't my plan for my life, mm-hmm. but God's will for my plan, my life is good. And so my job right now is to be faithful, which means what can I do in the situation mm-hmm. I'm in right now 
yes. for the greatest improvement of the thing that it actually lays before me, whether it's helping yep. or whether it's in the suffering to try to be productive or to try to be kind or just to try to not be terrible. It's also helped me to try to really see um, the beauty of different things around me, even the tiniest, tiniest thing, and be grateful for that. Yeah. And to be very, to find things to be thankful for. And that kind of came over a, a long period of time. Um, and I didn't realize that it had become quite so part, much a part of my life until in this last corporate job that I had, I overheard someone call me Pollyanna. And I was just like, well, actually, that's I guess that's a compliment because that means that you can have a good attitude. In I'm having, you know, I'm I'm trying to look and see what's good instead of just dwelling on what's bad. Yeah, that's also called being constructive, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that can be easily lost. I think it's important also to recognize from a Christian perspective that suffering is the human norm. It's always yeah. been the human norm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even in an age of technology where on TV shows we project these people that like basically have carefree lives, that that's not real. So like just of the four of us in here, you guys have been suffering with pain in your marriage for like 38 years. Aaron and Jason got married and Jason had like this severe dietary digestive right. problem yeah. where he was pr profoundly diminished for quite a while. Mm -hmm. and they've had... They've had some self-inflicted suffering and just stuff like that. You know, Lexi and I had a significantly disabled child where we told our child was going to die or be brain dead. And we were like, we told terrible things and then we, he was right. born and he had lots of problems. And like, that's what life is like, right? Yes. Exactly. I think there's this, there's this old verse from Job that was quoted in Anne of Green Gables, right? But the old woman says like, um, you know, suffering comes to men as sparks fly upward. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, that fire, there's sparks that just go up. And he, she's like, that's suffering. And um, that's when Anne like quotes her some like really happy Bible verse. And then yeah. she quotes that back at her and then dies the next week, you know, that like he, Christians can easily in a well-fed sugar filled American culture where there's supposed to be a treatment for everything, mm -hmm. especially younger people don't realize that like, Medicine is a very advanced form of stalling the inevitable. Yeah. Right? Yes. And when you get a little older, you realize physical pain is normal. It's just the severity of it that you're going to be able yeah. to deal with. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you got to exercise just to not hurt. And the people under 35 just don't understand that. No offense, Aaron. And so I think it's important when people recognize that like when stuff suffering happens, their life has kind of begun. <laughs> as opposed to like their life ending. Yeah, exactly. And Pete, Christians should understand that as much as anybody. And we just don't. We just don't because like all humans were allergic to talking about what will harm us. I, I would rather have gone through what we've been through for those many years and be who God, is, God has made us to be now than to have stayed who we were then. Yeah. I think when you pray for somebody in pain well really in anything you should pause and really your first prayer should be god what should we be praying for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to be aware that sometimes we use prayer as a way to get out of a situation or the promise of prayer and and honestly that's not very helpful mm -hmm. to the prayer or the recipient um yeah if god if godliness is one of the results of embracing your suffering in faith and in scripture God, godliness is considered the goal right then mm -hmm. 
that's that's an issue. Like that's going to be okay. I want to cover just one more thing before we end because we got to wrap up here, and this isn't going to be the most um, emotionally feely spiritual sounding thing but i think it really affects christians a lot which is taking medication Mm. christians can sometimes feel as though there's an ungodliness to taking medication whether it's psychotropic medications to help with depression those kinds of things or whether it's pain medications because they feel like well the bible says not to drink alcohol to the point of drunkenness like to use alcohol to self-medicate and to get consciousnesses that you wouldn't otherwise get isn't it wrong to medicate our pain away as somebody who's had to take narcotics and have all kinds of different medications and pain interventions? Um, can you reflect out a little bit on Christians taking medication, our freedom to do so, what limitations there might be, the fears of addiction, some of those things in 30 seconds. Or yeah. I'm if we recognize that all things good have come from God, then we also recognize that all things good come from God. And, and I'm free to use them, but I'm also free to use them in such a way that my mind still recognizes Jesus as Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to take medications to the point where that tree looks like I should worship it um, because I no longer am tied to reality. I'm going to take it to the degree that it helps me not in getting rid of my pain because there are no medicines for that, mm-hmm. but diminishing it to a point where I can work and, and do the things that I, um, so I have never in 38 years run out of a prescription before the, the stated time limit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, He's very usually careful about that. they last two to three times the stated time limit because I only take it if I have to take it. Um, I'm having a an implant on the 18th. Well, that's another form of masking pain. I'm not right. in denial of it. I'm praising God for medical knowledge that would give me an instrument. That but that's I a can form of pain work. relief that isn't supposed to create an altered state of consciousness. True. Right. So that's to be favored, right? You would think right. for a Christian. And and so I, I think we have to be wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get to a point once at doctor's orders where I had to go in and, and do a detox mm-hmm. because the combination of medicines they had me on was just really playing havoc with my system and and it was actually intensifying my pain because they had, they had too many pain colors crossing each other. Right. And so you do have to be wise. and Right. right. So I think it's important just to say very plainly, the commands in Scripture against drunkenness, for example, are not the same thing as receiving helpful medications that medicinally help you function in your life and take away intense pain. They're not the same thing. No. The kind of um, the debauchery, like Scripture always says that alcohol use wrongly or drug use wrongly will lead to a certain kind of debauchery because it's intended to. Right. And... Um, that's not the same thing as taking a medication. There are ways at which prudence or wisdom might say, don't take the medication this way. Correct. But that's yes. not the same thing as just feeling guilty as a Christian for taking medication, even medications that are things like narcotics that can affect your mentality if, in honesty, you're taking them to relieve the tragedy and bitterness of pain. Yeah, and there's a there's three words that get intermixed that are very, very different. I don't take pain medications to foster an addiction of a feeling that's outside of my what my reality should be as a Christian. Then there is um, a t- 
tolerance buildup where I've taken, because of the, num- the number of years and the number of drugs that I've had to take, um, I need more to do what they used to do because my body has built up a tolerance. Mm-hmm. And so there's addiction tolerance and the third one to escape me. Um, well, there is a third issue, which is you're not taking medication to deal with a problem that's supposed to be handled another way. So like if you have an yeah. emotional problem correct, that you don't want to deal with in terms of like the hurt from your past or something, and you're going to drink or take some kind of drug to deal with the pain psychological, right? That's d- a different that's, situation. Yes, very different. So a Christian yeah. taking narcotics because of the pain they're still suffering for the anger they have towards their father that they don't understand. That's not the same thing as physical pain where we, we use a drug to deal directly yes, with a physiological absolutely. pain in your nervous system. Right. There has to be integrity in what you're taking as it ties in to right. the uh, cause. Right. Right. And I think that's true for Christians taking antidepressants and other psychotropic drugs. If you're taking the, anti, the antidepressant or psychotropic drug because of a, like an issue, as far as we can tell, that's just in your neurology. Or right. it's because your body doesn't handle the long winters properly or something like that. That, then it makes sense to take some psychotropic drug. Or if you need some help getting out of your depression because you're deeply in it, right. taking a psychotropic drug could, could help from where you are physiologically at this point for depression affecting your body. Mm-hmm. But if you got into the depression because you're really unhappy with your life, the psychotropic drug is not the answer. Correct. Right. Some learning. And that to, falls back into the addiction category because right. it's an escape mechanism. Right. And I think some psychologists are coming around to that, that they want to have people on those drugs for shorter periods of time. But I, so I think for some Christians, they're just like, oh, give me all the drugs I get. And that might need to be tempered a little bit. But there are some Christians that are completely medicationally non-compliant. Yeah. And most human beings don't take care of themselves. Even apparently, like something like thirty percent of people who get like new kidneys don't take the proper drugs that they've been given, <laughs> so that their body won't reject the new organ they've received. Like people yeah, just don't just take care of themselves. And I would argue that's ungodliness. It's a failure of stewardship. Correct. So in some ways, I would say Mike taking his narcotic as little as he can, but so that he can be productive is a positive act of Christian discipleship because it's a stewardship of his capacity for productivity. And that's a free decision he has to make as a mature adult in Christ. And you can't solve that problem as adolescently or immaturely as saying, drug's bad, drug's good, right? Mike uses drugs as a steward in the most productive way he can to to affect his pain and he just has to make those choices with, in prudence with doctors, with his wife. Is that fair to say? Yeah, one of my yeah. early doctors who was a Christian friend told me to do this. He said, every time you take a pain med, ask yourself the question, do I have to take this? And I still ask myself that. And there have been times when I have put it back in the tin. Yeah. Because I have a tin in my pocket that has three different things in it that I can take for pain med, pain relief, and they're, they're stronger mm-hmm. in intensity. And there have been times I put a stronger one back and taken a lesser one. Mm-hmm. There have been a couple of times where I put a lesser one back and taken a stronger one yeah. because I knew I was trying to get by, but it wouldn't really help, and I'd have to take it again. And so what you're saying is very, very true. And unfortunately, it has come along with, with some guilt and some shame even as you just said that statement, Mike mm-hmm. takes his, Mike takes drugs, was all my mind wanted to hear. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to be known for that. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't, 
I honestly just wouldn't even be here. Well, yeah. So any last thoughts from you just in regards to counseling people in pain? Listen first, then pray, Mm -hmm. then respond how God directs you. It's always good advice, whether it's physical pain that you're counseling through or otherwise. Thank you guys both for being on this podcast. We know that even though it's been a 38-year time period where you've processed through a lot, I know you've talked about your experience, you've written this paper, you've done a lot around this. It is still difficult to talk about and difficult to go through. So we really appreciate you sharing with the podcast world and helping us understand. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.